Today we're going to talk about a character design stew. I promise that'll make sense in a minute. doing well. Welcome to the 29th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. You can find me on Twitch for the occasional Game Dev live stream. My Twitch channel is Zaccavelli underscore. We have an open community discord uh, where we do the Game Dev Challenge and we just talk about the craft of Game Dev in general. The open invite link is in the show notes. This is also where we do the Game Dev Field Guide monthly game jam. We are on month number three. Uh, The theme is sequel. And by the time this episode comes out, we'll be about a week away from the deadline. So there will be some games to play coming up here at the end of the month. Lastly, I just want to mention the Patreon. Um, We just passed our one year anniversary, I think one episode ago. And I went ahead and started a Patreon for the show. If you're looking for a way to directly support the show and get some extra other stuff like being able to vote on episode topics, uh, check out the Patreon link in the show notes. With that, let's jump over to the Game Dev Challenge. Last episode's Game Dev Challenge was Identify juice techniques that were used to make one of your favorite games have a good game feel. Remember last episode was about game feel and we talked about how you can use juice, which are just like little techniques and little tricks that really improve the overall game feel of your games. And we talked about there's like tons and tons of different kinds of forms of juice. And yeah, you guys really took to this one. We got a ton of submissions. So yeah, this one was really cool because there was a lot of examples. And we actually had a three-way tie for the winner of the uh, game dev challenge. That would be between Locks the Thief, Rich Q, and Sad Ghost. I'll see if I can quickly sum up each of their posts uh, so we don't take too long here. Lox the Thief's uh, example of juice was from The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. Lox says, whenever you hit an enemy in combat, the sound effects merges with a bit into the music. It's not just an impact sound, but a rhythmic effect to the combat. And this is where we get kind of into the like meta idea of juice and how game music can be a form of juice even though game music is really its own thing. But yeah, I know what Lox is talking about here as far as the rhythmic kind of musical impact sound in The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. It very much fits its sort of cartoony style. And if you remember from last episode, I thought maybe I should do a segment on the show where we just talk about a different technique of juice like every time and just kind of look at some stuff. And definitely uh, sort of the rhythmical music hit effects that kind of blend right there, that'll definitely be a juice topic that we talk about in the future. Rich Q's example was from the game Oxenfree. It's kind of like a if there was like a psychology or maybe association category of juice. Uh, in the game Oxenfree, you carry a radio that you tune to different frequencies, Uh, The way you do it in-game is very, like, reminiscent of a real radio. It kind of has that feel where you have to dial in the frequency and you hear the voices kind of staticky and then they become clear as you get closer to the right frequency. 
And this satisfying feeling as you like dial into crystal clear music is kind of set along the game as like a mechanic. Later in the game, the, if you have never played Oxenfree, by the way, it's got a little bit, well, it's got a lot of like a horror mystery element. It's a really, really cool game. Um, one of my favorite indie games and yeah, you should really check it out, but it's hard to kind of describe this next part without having spoilers, but let's just say that the satisfying radio tuning instead of becoming like a satisfying, like kind of chill, like cool thing is got a horror twist and almost an anxiety thing in it makes maybe some uncomfortable noises. And Rich Q pointed out how this sort of subverting a established mechanic was a form of juice, like I said, in the maybe psychology way. If there was a psychology category of juice, this would be a really good technique for horror games. Lastly, we have the post from Sad Ghost. Their example is from the game Devil May Cry 5. And this is a bit longer post, but there's a very specific part of the post that I want to talk about where the game has a tendency to highlight key moments. If you've never played Devil May Cry, it's sort of a uh, action 3D beat-em-up, like dials the action up to 11. (laughs) It's really charming in the way that like it's just about crazy action. But anyways, to highlight these key moments in the game, uh, there's usually distinct sounds or what Sad Ghost points out specifically are voice lines. The main character, Dante, yelling something like, tricked ya. Dante yelling out catchphrases during key moments or like a perfect combo or something like that really, really adds to the satisfaction of the game. and is a really good way to juice up that action Uh, that sort of like cool combat feel like up to 11 because it feels like you're in a you know a crazy like anime action thing when (laughs) your main character is yelling out uh, catchphrases after doing like a sweet combo and Dante yelling out catchphrases while executing combos and stuff like that is something uh, in video game writing that is referred to as a bark another good example of barks is in overwatch when, um, I don't know the Overwatch characters, but there's that British girl who runs fast, or the, uh, <laughs> a better example is, uh, the Western guy, and he says, like, it's high noon, and then does his, uh, alt. Whenever any character in the game Overwatch, or mostly, I, I can't say for all, but mostly the characters announce their alts or have some kind of bark associated with their alt. This one brings the characters a little bit more to life. Really aids in that cartoony, almost like Pixar kind of thing. And yeah, just gives a little bit more life to the character, thus juicing it uh, sort of narratively. But also, in the case of that uh, High Noon alt, it announces the intention of a player to use the alt, which kind of has like a gameplay twist on it, right? Because if you hear someone... Uh, God, what is his name? If you hear the Western guy say it's high noon, then you know you better take cover because he's about to do his quick draw alt. Barks are definitely, in my opinion, a category of juice. And for the future juice segment, um, it's definitely one I'm going to talk about someday. We had a lot of great posts um, this time around, and I'm, I feel really good about a lot of people participating in the Game Dev Challenge. I think it's one of the best ways to uh, kind of 
I don't know, just take like 15 minutes and kind of do like a mental puzzle and get better uh, at game dev at the same time. So thank you for everyone's posts. I'm sorry I couldn't get to them all, but there were some good ones in there. So I would encourage everyone to go check them out. I would also encourage you to participate in this episode's game dev challenge. For this episode's game dev challenge, I would like you to design a 2D character sprite using only a silhouette. And maybe you could add a note too about the themes or gameplay related to the character. But as far as the art itself, I want to see only the silhouette. We're going to talk about silhouettes later, but in case you don't make it to that part of the episode, um, or just don't know what a silhouette is, uh, it's basically the outline of the character and then everything else is filled in black. You think about it as like a, a perfect shadow. So yeah, take some time, make a silhouette. Um, and submit it to the Game Dev Challenge channel on the Discord. With that, let's jump over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is about character design. Character design to me is one of those things that works like a stew. I told you in the intro that that was going to make sense. And (laughs) it's a weird metaphor, but just hear me out for a second. When I was first writing this episode, I thought it would be like an art-specific episode. Uh, But the more I dug in, the more I realized how character design can be seen in a multitude of lenses. Whether it be a game design, the narrative design, you could also look at the musical design or look at character design from a musical lens, rather. So I really think all of these different lenses and influences work kind of like ingredients in a stew. That meaning that they sort of all work together and converge so that eventually the character design is really a mashup of all of these things. And I think the end product is often greater than the sum of its parts. So when I thought of this episode, I figured uh, it would be an art-specific episode, but the more we learn about it and the more you really dig into character design, you're going to learn that much like a stew, it's got a little bit of everything to it. This is also something that is kind of subjective, and remember that nothing I say is going to be a hard rule, so just think of them as data points that you decide what to do with. So where should you start when coming up with a character design? I think you should start with your strength. Personally for me, my strength is game design, so I usually start with the game functionality of the character, that is, the mechanics that go along with the character. Like, if I want a beefy enemy with lots of hit points, then I know that's where my design is going to start. And when I say that, a beefy enemy with lots of hit points, um, I can already picture that it's a sort of large, bulky character shape. If writing was your strength, maybe you start with the personality of the character, how they talk, how they act. If art is your strength, maybe you start with a specific shape or motif. You will see as we go on that each one of these things start to shape each other, and it starts to make like the stew we talked about. It really just depends where you start at the starting point, or what you pick as your strength to be the starting point, rather. Like, let's go back to my example where I want to start from a game design standpoint with a high hit point enemy. Well, then like I said, a high hit point enemy to me just comes up with a shape in my mind of kind of a more bulky character. And you can see already how the game design starts to influence the art design. And then with a rough bulky shape um, and the game design idea, maybe we start to shape a narrative around the character. Maybe what they sound like, how they move. And this just goes on so on and so forth 
and you can see how your starting point kind of goes out and influences the other parts of the character design, which then influence the next parts of the character design. And pretty soon you'll have a fleshed out character, but you want to just make sure that your starting point is a solid foundation, and that's why I recommend you start with your strength. You could even apply the golden rule of game dev, or my golden rule of game dev, to this, which is to focus on a specific idea or feeling when shaping the character's ingredients. For instance, if I picked laziness as a feeling, uh, I think that would go really well with a bulky, high HP character. And we start to have a more interesting and more defined character when I put laziness to it. You could totally change the feel, however, though, by simply focusing on a different feeling like playfulness. A bulky, high HP character with the feeling of playfulness has a different kind of art, um, a different kind of tone, a different kind of personality. So yeah, I think the golden rule of focusing on an emotion or feeling or a specific thing when designing anything for your game, I think the golden rule very much applies to character design. I also want to mention that each one of these ingredients could be like episodes in themselves, and we could really get into the weeds about all the different things. For instance, we could talk about narrative character design. A lot of that comes from what the character says and how they act. And so then we'd have to talk about writing and writing dialogue and writing character arcs and then all of a sudden this episode becomes like a creative writing class <laughs> and if you've ever seen my grammar in the discord uh, you know that I should not be giving advice on writing anything really if it's voice acted then this becomes an entire other episode it's an episode about character design it's an episode about writing it's an episode about acting so with that in mind and not to let this episode kind of spiral out of control, we're just going to stick to character design from a mostly art and the gameplay ingredient um, today. We'll maybe reference a little bit of other stuff here and there, but yeah, the two things we're going to focus on today is character design from an art and gameplay standpoint. That doesn't mean that these are the most important ingredients, just to stick with the metaphor, that's just the style of stew that we have time to talk about today. It's like the steak and potato stew, but seafood jambalaya doesn't have either steak or potatoes as ingredients, and it's still just as good. I think <laughs> I think you got the point with the stew metaphor, so I'll stop uh, belaboring it. If you want a great example of well-done character game design, uh, just look at popular MOBAs. I myself really never got into MOBAs, so if I get the terminology wrong, I apologize. But I think what's good about most MOBAs is that they have combined uniqueness with familiarity uh, as far as the character mechanical design goes. Each character usually fits into a role within the game and has a unique twist that sets them apart from the other characters. This creates two things that I think are going to be mentioned later in the episode. In fact, I know they're going to be mentioned later in the episode, but these two things that are important to have with character designs, and that is distinctness and familiarity. A new MOBA character might come out, and it would be good if someone could understand in one sentence the mechanics of the character. I say it would be good because that's absolutely what people are going to do. They will say, oh, this new character is a jungler, but they can grapple. And again, I'm just making something up with MOBA terms. That might be an awful 
combination, a jungler and a grappler, and you can put that on Zaccavelli, you dummy, next time we do it. But just humor me for the example real quick. So the person says, oh, it's a jungler, but it can grapple. And notice what they've done in the sentence. They've identified the familiarity by noticing it's a jungler, which is a role the character has on the team. So that right there already kind of establishes the core mechanical design of the character. They also notice that the distinctness that the character can grapple, which identifies what's unique about the character. I think that's a pretty accurate way of how people talk about characters within games. They kind of find a role for them and then find their distinctness. I think you can find that in just about any game with kind of multi-character rosters. I'm thinking games like Smash Brothers, you know, you have roles. You might say, oh, this character is a heavy, but they can, I don't know, shoot projectiles. In games like Rainbow Six Siege, you might say, Oh, they're a support defender, but they get a machine gun. From a game design standpoint, I think it's a good idea to kind of keep this in mind. This is just how people communicate about characters, I think. I think that's a pretty fair and accurate way, uh, sort of a generalization about the core demographic of gamers. And so when designing your characters, just keep in mind this is how they're going to rationalize what your character is from a mechanical standpoint. And remember, we want to focus on the distinctness and the familiarity. The distinctness and familiarity formula should be like half and half, in my opinion. I think that's a good formula for gameplay character design, and we're going to talk about later just character design in general. If you make something too familiar, um, it might not be exciting enough for anyone to care about it. And if you make it too distinct, it's going to be too hard to understand. Right in the middle is just right for most character designs, uh, in my opinion. And you might be thinking to yourself, oh, well, that's all well and good for multiplayer games or games with a deep roster of, like, main characters or games with teams and roles. And, you know, if I was trying to come up with a roster of characters, that'd be a, a good idea. But how does this formula work for my little Game Jam game? And I would say that, well, remember that your Game Jam game doesn't exist in a vacuum. If you make a 2D platformer, people are going to compare it to Mario. It's just going to happen because the game dev and video game worlds are too connected. And that's okay, and it actually kind of works well with our formula. Remember, you want something that is familiar yet distinct. To me, I think about the hit indie platformers like Super Meat Boy and Celeste. They are both very familiar with the sort of core gameplay, but each of those characters mechanically twists the 2D platformer genre with unique gameplay elements related to the characters. The core of those two is very familiar with Mario, but if you look at the trio of those games and the trio of the core characters, you can start to see how they have unique differences as it relates to how they play. So yeah, I would say when deciding a character's mechanics and just the character overall, um, consider all the influences that your character will be compared to, both mechanically and otherwise. And it's not just in video games either. Like, how many fast acrobatic arrow guys are there in popular culture right now? You got Hawkeye, you got Green Arrow, you got Legolas... There's familiarity there with which people expect an arrow character to do. 
what they expect them to be. If you follow the formula, then we could say, okay, well, let's keep all the quick agility and acrobatic stuff because that's familiar with people. That's what they expect an arrow character to do. But instead of firing a bunch of arrows or firing arrows really fast, let's have the player just have one really big arrow, like a missile or something. All of a sudden, you have an idea that is distinct yet familiar. That was just a quick example and might not be like super distinct, but I hope you can see the point um, how it's really good if you can communicate the mechanical design of your character uh, with familiarity and yet excite people and make people think, oh, that's different with a little bit of distinctness. If you're interested in more character design sort of topics, um, from like the gameplay design standpoint, maybe go listen to the RPG class design or the multiplayer fundamentals episodes, as I think there are some good tip bits that kind of have the similar threads uh, to this part of the episode. Next, let's talk about the artistic side of character design. This is something that is quite subjective, like most artistic endeavors, um, but I still think there are some key ideas, a sort of baseline idea rather, that would be worth it to understand and follow when it comes to making a video game character. And this is another one of those topics that could go super, super deep into the weeds. So I just want to get you a core baseline going, and then you can kind of take it from there into, you know, whatever deep rabbit hole you want to go into. One of the most important things and a core idea when it comes to characters, especially main characters, is the silhouette of the character. The silhouette, if you don't know, is just imagine the outline of the character and then you filled everything in with black. In other words, it has no color, no depth. It's literally just the outline of the character um, completely filled in with black. I think it would be a good idea if the silhouette of your character in general, follow the distinct yet familiar formula. You want it to be familiar so that the player can make out what it is, but you also want it to be distinct so that it looks unique and interesting. The silhouette is important because our brain recognizes shapes first. Um, so you want to communicate a lot of information with the shape of the character and not necessarily the color or the shading. The color and the shading are important but it's the silhouette that we recognize first. Classic example is Mickey Mouse. You don't have to see the colors or the kind of depth of the character. You know what Mickey Mouse is. You know who he looks like just by seeing the outline. All you need to do is see his head and the two ears, and you know who that is. You know who you're looking at. When you make a silhouette for a video game character, um, things that the player should be aware of should be definitely prominent in the silhouette, in my opinion. Weapons are a good example of something that you might want to make extra big so that they stick out in the silhouette, and they're easily recognizable in a quick instant. This is because you'll want the player, especially if you have like a fast-paced action game, you'll want the player to be able to recognize the weapons and maybe see their trajectory and speed and things like that, you're going to want them to be able to do that fast. And in order to do that fast, your character design has to have good readability. Readability is really important from a game design and just general user experience standpoint. And all it really means is how fast can the player 
read, I guess, what's going on just by looking at the character. Can the player tell that it's attacking? Can they tell the direction it's attacking? Can they tell the force with which it's attacking? Stuff like that is, in general, kind of referred to as the readability of the character. And remember, the brain recognizes the silhouette first, so the readability of the silhouette is, like, most important, in my opinion. Sometimes you might come up with, like, a really cool and unique silhouette, but at the same time, the things that make it unique and cool also make it really complicated. Like, if you had a character with ten arms, I'm sure that would look really cool, but the readability, especially when you apply motion to each of the arms... Um, the overall readability of the character would be really bad, I think. It's simply too complex of a silhouette. Instead, you might be able to fix this by, if you wanted a many-armed character, maybe you could only make like four of the arms stick out in the silhouette, and the rest be kind of inside the silhouette. By that I mean you have four sticking out of the body, and the rest are like in front of the body, maybe just by how you pose it. The rest are in front of the body so that they don't show up in the silhouette. This is a sort of compromise that I think allows for better readability, but also helps you keep the core idea of having a 10-armed character. This kind of practicality um, and sort of scope and perspective, and we're going to talk about here in a second the general work involved, um, having all this stuff in mind is really important when designing a character. This is especially true when you've decided to fill in the silhouette with actual color and details. The more details you will add will also mean that's more stuff that you'll have to animate when you put your character in motion. I talked about kind of keeping practicality of work in mind, keeping scope in mind. When you make a really detailed character, especially in like, let's say, 2D pixel art, you got to understand that when you put that in motion, each of those details are going to be affected by the motion. Kind of depends on what the details are, but most of them will be affected by the motion. And so the more complex you make your character design, the more work and scope it's going to be to kind of animate the character and make it look good. Also, with a more complex character design from just a color and detail standpoint, you might also muddy up the overall readability. And you focus so hard on getting the readability of the silhouette right, you don't want to muddy it up with too much color or detail. More detail is not always better, and if you think about it, a lot of the most iconic character designs are actually very simplistic. I mean, Mario is literally just a dude <laughs> with a mustache in overalls. Master Chief is a green soldier, like a super robot soldier, but still. Both of those are flagship iconic characters for their respective companies, and overall, they have pretty simplistic designs. Those are another two really good examples, though, of silhouettes that are iconic and really stick out and are distinct. There is a lot more to consider from the artistic side of character design, and it's one of those things, like I said, that becomes a rabbit hole, and probably even something that I don't feel I am totally qualified to, like, exhaustively cover. But I think if you focus on designing a familiar, distinct, and detail-balanced character, you will be off to a great start. So with that, I'm just going to go back over uh, a lot of the things we talked about. Remember to think of character design like a stew. There are many angles you can approach it from, and they all influence and meld together 
uh, to become the character. Because of this, when starting out, I think you should approach it from the direction you feel strongest in. Remember the golden rule of capturing a feeling and use it to help guide your character designs. When coming up with a design, I like the one-half familiar, one-half distinct formula. This can be applied to all aspects of character, uh, but a huge part of it will be the actual game design. It's important for the player to have a sense of the character's purpose mechanically, um, and I think if you stick to the one-half distinct, one-half familiar rule, a player will be able to understand the mechanics in like a sentence or two. Remember, they're going to probably do something like identify its role and then say what's unique about it. If it's a single-player game or a small indie game or one of your Game Jam games, they're going to say, oh, it's like Mario, but the character shoots a grappling hook instead of jumps. From the artistic side, you really want to focus on the readability and silhouette of the character. The silhouette is another thing that does really well with the one-half familiar, one-half distinct formula. The readability of the silhouette is very important, and it's the first thing that the brain recognizes, the silhouette that is, so you want to make sure its readability can convey a lot of information. Make sure that important things that you want the character to focus on, like weapons for instance, stick out of the overall character silhouette. When you go to add color and maybe more details, keep in mind the overhead associated and the practicality of actually animating the character. Make sure you don't muddy up the readability that you work so hard to get right with the silhouette by adding too much detail or too much color, and make sure that the details that you do add, you'll be able to animate them um, because you don't want to make like a lot of extra work for yourself. You don't want to make a character so complex with details that it will take you forever to animate it. Remember that some of the most iconic character designs are actually very simplistic, and so you don't have to go crazy with the detail or color either. It's actually a good thing to maybe have a little bit less. If you focus on designing a familiar, distinct, and detail-balanced character, I think you'll be off to a great start. After that, you can go learn about color theory, expression through animation, and stuff like that to really, you know, take your character art to the next level. But I think it won't make a good video game character, in my opinion, if it doesn't have that core foundation of being distinct, familiar, and practical. With that, I'm going to end the episode. Remember, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. That's at underscore Zachavelli underscore. I'm on Twitch streaming occasionally. That's Zachavelli underscore. Uh, just one underscore at the end. <laughs> that's confusing. I should probably change that. Um, don't forget about the Game Dev Field Guide monthly game jam. We're wrapping up month number three. I should have some games coming out next week. And then if you want to join, uh, April's Game Jam will also be starting up soon. So that's a really, really good way to get better at Game Dev. I would really encourage you to go try it out. And if you want to support the show directly, please consider um, contributing to the Patreon there's a small handful of Patreons right now, so when they get to vote on an episode, <laughs> their vote has a lot of power. They're just straight up picking what episode I do. So, yeah, if you want to support the show and vote on episodes, uh, definitely consider the Patreon. I'll leave the link in the show notes.
With that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli. Character design part two will be an episode solely dedicated to jiggle physics. So I can't wait to see you guys for that one.